Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause, with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. Saf came relatively late to entrepreneurship after working in both the public and private sectors. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur that's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group a welfare-to-work and skills provider. In these podcasts, he shares his thoughts with journalist Adrian Kibler. So, let's join the conversation. Hello, and welcome to another Canny Conversation with a Cause. These are conversations that are intended to captivate your curiosity cannily. Uh, And before we start on this particular episode, Saf, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks very much. Excellent. And I think we want to... Say a few words, don't we, to, to those people that have been kind enough and helpful enough to provide us with uh, some incredible feedback. Yeah, I mean, feedback is is what drives us, and it's 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 a way of improving. We genuinely genuinely ask for feedback, and it's not just about praise. It's not just about you know testimonials or reviews, but areas of improvement and any advice as well, into or suggestions in terms of episodes or any comments really. Uh, so much appreciate the people who have reached out. Now, absolutely, because, uh, you know, one of the lessons that I think all good businesses um, recognise is that knowing what their customers, and our listeners in many ways are our customers, what they think really matters. And, you know, years and years ago, I was told by somebody that uh, good customers value complaints. I'm not saying that all of the feedback has been complaints because they haven't, but, you know, most customers don't complain. They just, they just... Mm. They give you suggestions, don't they? You know, they give you suggestions, they give you improvements, they, they give you their their views, and it's a way for us to learn and, and uh, hopefully continue our journey of development. Absolutely, and it's all part and parcel of the process of trying to be as perfect as we can be. And, and that gives me a sort of little hang to bring us into our topic today. We're going to talk about today imperfect perfection. We're going to talk about why chasing perfection is not always the the, the best way forward. Just give me your take before we sort of really get into this stuff. What what do what do you mean by perfection? How how would you define perfection? I mean, there's a there's a myth that that's perfection is is something which is far superior and, and is something that we should be striving for and you know i've got uh, my view changes on this depending on what we're looking at and 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 what we're dealing with a lot of it is about balance but it's a very interesting topic i think uh, you know sometimes it can be a criticism i've i've used it uh, in many interviews where they ask you the question what's your strength and weaknesses and you try and use that as a strength and a weakness you know, I, I see it from that perspective. I see it from a product perspective, uh, from projects and various things. So it's very, you know, a lot of dimensions to this. But interesting, hopefully, conversation later on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Are you one of those people like me that doesn't matter how good an experience you've had, whether it's a holiday, whether it's a, a book that you've read or a meal that you've eaten, when, you, when you're asked to give it so many, you're often asked to give it so many stars out of five normally. Are you one of those people like me who never gives five stars because on the basis that, that everything can always be a bit better. No, I'm, I'm the other way around, really. Whatever I can, I try and give a five star and uh, I try and promote any business that I can. So if I can give a five star, I'll give a five star. Otherwise, I'll tend to sort of refrain. So for, I, I've got a slightly different view on giving reviews because I think there's an impact on reviews to have on businesses. But internally, I do look at what could be better, what could have improved 
And uh, it, it is something that uh, I'm constantly looking at and constantly thinking about. And I think you, you, you have either you have that mind where you're always sort of observing, aware of, aware of things, and uh, in terms of customer service, products, and various things. So you, you do try and have that element of observation and, and viewpoint. But when it comes to reviews or testimonials, I try and see if I can, if I, if I can muster a five, I'll give them a five. Otherwise, unless they specifically ask. I tend not to sort of go in with the fours and the threes and so forth. That's well, a personal that, that, thing. That's the sort of person. <laughs> that's a that, personal that's thing. That's the sort of person you are, Seth, very generous and always looking to encourage people. Whereas a miserable old devil like me always try to find something, some reason not to give five stars. So that's important. Uh, what I think we don't want to do is rerun um, an episode that we did previously. But I think there are some similarities in the sense that we, we, we did an episode when we talked about best. And I suppose perfection to some extent is, is both a subjective and an objective thing and what I mean by that is you know if you've got a class of children and you give them an exam a maths exam and 10 questions that they get uh, somebody gets all 10 right then I suppose that is a perfect score but most of the time of course life is much more complicated than that uh, and it is a perceptive judgment but let's go into the real world now and talk about business and um, when you're developing a product or service for your customers at what point do you say well good, you know we might be able to improve this further but this is good enough to go to market with uh, how do you make that judgment so when you say good enough i mean we, we've said that before but is is good enough is good enough at times and i think firstly it's a language thing as well it's really understanding what people mean by perfection or what the individual and that circumstances uh, that what they referred to in terms of products or service you know we, we use a word called fit for purpose is it fit for purpose what's the end in mind what's our objective and does it do that rather than necessarily chasing perfection because you and i have talked in the past and we said chasing perfection is like chasing rainbows it's it's never ending to a certain level and there's consequences to that action and there's consequences to trying to seek that perfection as well so you've got to look at the consequences you've got to look at risk you've got to look at opportunities weigh all that up and really what is that going to achieve everything has got to go back into context context is important the situation is important and and i think there's an there's an element of you know having a bird's eye perspective because people can get caught out and this is where you know, as leaders, you know, I've, I've had situations where I've got a designer, creative individual, their objective is probably different to mine. The salesperson's objective is probably different to the designers and so forth. So everybody has a perspective. Everybody's wearing a different hat. And the designer is, in, in that particular case, uh, and this is a case that, you know, I can, I can personally relate to, their objective was completely different. You know, they're looking at something which is a showpiece, a masterpiece, something that, and they're looking at things that, you know, we're, we're not seeing. We're seeing it from a different perspective. I'm looking at costs, I'm looking at times, I'm looking at the opportunity, I'm looking at the customers, and this individual is looking at it from a different perspective. That's just an example. There's another example that I, if, I'm, if I may share with you, which is when we're uh, doing tenders and bids, and, you know, there's timescales involved. And in that particular example, every word counts, every phrase that you write, and you know it, you're talking about every point. So each point does matter. So you've got to be in a position where you can't be too blasé about it. You've got to question every single sentence, look at every single aspect of it, and you and you need a different skill. And you've got to look at you know words and changing words around. And we've had a situation very recently where we failed a tender by 
a very small, minute of a point. And there's another example where you know we were selected for again a very similar one percent, less than one percent difference. And it was all to do with certain words that were used or not used, and certain language, like a risk register. In in a particular example, where we said that we've got a risk register. In another example, we never elaborated on it. You know, we had certain limited words, and we we thought we answered the question. You know, it was good enough. But if we had made maybe small improvements to it, looked at, you know, how do we actually get this above the line in terms of some of the some of the responses? We may have won that. So there's situations where, in some cases, you know, you're you're pushing the boat out a little bit in terms of getting it to that level, particularly with regard to timescales. And in other cases, you know, you've, you know, you've got to deal with what that person's agenda is. So, you know, I've dealt with many different situations where, you know, I've said, you know what, that's enough now. I've got to take it off you. It's good enough. And in other examples, I've had to throw it back and go, go back to the guys and say, you know what, no, we need to keep chipping at it. Marginal improvements, 1%, re-look at it again, re-look at it again and see what we can get. Go and get feedback, go and get another view on this. And really, to, to a certain level, keep pushing. Perfection can kill, but perfection at the same time can give you that competitive advantage as well. So there's different dimensions to this. And, you know, we can be exploring all of these options. And I think, you know, hopefully we'll we'll try and we've covered some of it, but we'll try and pick up as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right in terms of context, because there's no point in somebody to come into your office on a Monday morning and saying, hey, Saf, we've really perfected, we've got this absolutely perfect, this contract. And you say, great. And they say, well, the only slight problem stuff is it was due in on Friday afternoon. <laughs> so, 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 you know, everything has to be set in that sort of context. Let's talk about some businesses where they've perhaps not produced a product that's mm. absolutely perfect, where because they've, but because they've been first, yeah, that's given them a huge competitive advantage because people have kind of, you know, come to uh, associate that company. That's become synonymous with the product or the, or the services. And are there any ones that you can think of that perhaps fit that bill? Yeah, there's, there's. I think uh, competitive advantage, unfair advantage. It's really about how people uh, perceive businesses in a in a particular marketplace, and we've. Uh, uh, we've got some businesses that are that are trade names, and they've they've become uh, synonymous with an industry. They've become generic names for that particular industry. I mean, Biro uh, from our days in terms of uh, uh, the 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 ballpoint pen, Tipex. If you remember Tipex. Uh, the fluid sort that of was the thing you yeah. Yeah. Well, you were you, you, in your journalist days, you probably used a lot of tipics, I think. You used to type, didn't you? And you used to, when you made your spelling mistakes, instead of erasing it by pressing a key, you, you, you used to put you used this to, used to, blob yeah, of, blob yeah, of... Uh, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I remember Tipex, that's my that's from my era. But there's other things like Cashpoint is another one, you know, my, that's probably one of my favourites. Uh, you know, we, we, we call Cashpoint you know the ATM machine, a cash point, and cash point is actually is a brand owned yeah. by one of the, the the banks. Isn't that Lloyd's? Lloyd's, Lloyd's. Yeah, thank you for 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 helping out. And you've got um, Filofax again. I'm, yeah. I keep yeah, giving yeah, you yeah, examples yeah. from the, from the 1970s yeah, and yeah, 80s, yeah. but Filofax is a, is a, is another one. Seller tape, sticky tape, and there's there's many. And I think Google is another one. Hoover, 
Uh, well, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, who, you know, who, who, uh, who, how many uh, times do we say I'm going to Google something? Yeah, <laughs> they basically mean they're going to go to a search engine, but but it's become yeah. so synonymous. Hoover, Hoover is another one, isn't it? I, I know. Any time somebody mentions Hoover, you know what? Can you Hoover this place? And you're thinking, actually, you know what? Do they actually realise that it's a, it's a it's a brand as opposed to uh, the name of the vacuum cleaner? But but these are just brands or companies that have positioned themselves in a particular marketplace where they've dominated that marketplace and their name is known for that particular product. And whether their their product was perfect or whether their product was the best product, and in some most cases, probably not. But what they've done is they've got that coverage, they've got the the awareness out there, they've, they've got the customers and their name now is known in that particular marketplace. Uh, Google, again, you know, we, you know, we, we mentioned it, it, it wasn't the first so that's probably the other way around to a certain level. It wasn't the first, but their product was superior. Uh, it was cleaner. It got you the results. And, and you had a possibly superior product and then it overtook all the others where if you look at Yahoo and some of the other, the other uh, search engines out there, they were, they were harder, a little bit harder to use. The results were a little bit different. And also at the same time, it was a messier page. It, was a, uh, it wasn't clean enough in terms of you know, Google's, you know, Google's differentiation. So that was a slight differentiation. And late, as, uh, as somebody who came later to the marketplace, but they overtook the marketplace. And there's, there's many, many sort of examples where you've, you've had products who you know, ha- are dominating and then they suddenly lose. And you've had people who from one decade or from one year to another year uh, change positions in terms of ranking. And whether that's the big, you know, we're talking about big multinational companies or whether you're talking about Pacific industries. So, you know, that evolves and, and that's about continuous improvement. And that's really listening to customers and, and being tuned with feedback reviews and looking at continuous improvement. So it's not necessarily in a state of perfection, but it is that element of continuous improvement and and, and being aware and so forth. One of the, the big things, of course, if you, if you are a name which is synonymous with the, with the product, I mean, take Hoover, for example. There are many different vacuum clean makers and, you know, some of those vacuum cleaners might be better than those made by Hoover. But at least it gives Hoover the benefit that the first name people think about is Hoover. So they'll probably have a look at Hoover, which is another, um, you know, benefit. Let me give you an example of one where a, a, a product, there were two products. You're much too young for this. Oh. So you, 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 won't, you won't remember these things at all. But, okay. But, but, but there, was, there used to be something called, they used to, used to put a, tape into a machine and it was called a video machine yeah they were, these were called videotapes i don't expect <laughs> you to remember those <laughs> okay. at all but the thing with videotapes is the when, VC, the video, the VCRs, yeah. when the vcrs were when the video machines were first developed the the, they, the the initial development was by sony and sony produced something called betamax yeah yeah and then and jvc came along a little bit later with something called vhs and most of the, you know, the the so-called experts would would tell you that the the Betamax, the Sony product, was actually slightly technically superior. But actually, it was the the VHS one is the one that most people older than you, of course, but most people older than you would would remember. So it's not always about being first. No, it's always no, the, the the best. It is. It isn't, and it isn't. And I I remember. I I do remember. Uh, the 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 Betamax and the 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 VHS and and uh, yeah the the reason why because I advised my father at the time to go with the the Betamax model and uh, and we found out later there just wasn't enough videos coming out on on Betamax Betamax probably would have but it it, it is it is uh, 
uh, it is one that you know we st- I, I studied about university days as well in terms of the whole story. But I personally was part of that journey because my, I advised my father on on this. So I won't be I won't be able to forget that. But but going back to uh, this perfection thing, often I think we've got to put a little bit of disclaimer here because there are many examples where this doesn't work out. It is better to be the first rather than trying to be the best. It is better to be the first because being the first gives you the competitive advantage because it's about when people think about that product, do they think about your brand and do they think about your company? And a lot of this is about how people recall and what people look at in terms of making decisions. And a lot of this is about then marketing and so forth and how our brain works. People don't go on necessarily looking at technical specifications to see which is or what is the superior product and necessarily focusing on that. But it is really about uh, awareness. It's about trust in terms of that particular name. It's about what your possibly peers are doing, what others are doing, and really understanding where the market is. And this is where, in that respect, people play safe and and go back to our basic core instincts in terms of being able to trust the brand. And a lot of that is about the awareness, the, the branding, the familiarity of it. And familiarity does breed some element of trust. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you an example of that. In, in the world of cameras, Nikon were one of the first, they were not the first to produce, um, you know, what are called SLR cameras, uh, routine lens reflex cameras. But for very many years, Nikon dominated that market, not so much because their product was superior to other companies like Canon and um, Minolta and the rest of it, but because they were there in very early on, they were the cameras that the people that went and filmed the Vietnam War and all the rest of it were using. And therefore, as you quite rightly say, they were the cameras that people thought of, you know, as something they could trust, that could be depended upon, that was technologically sound, rather than perfect, rather than, than the best. Because trust is a huge issue, isn't it, in terms of marketing and yeah, I mean, again, I've learned something today. SLR, I didn't know what SLR stood for, so <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Again, I wasn't aware about the, the Nikon story, but there's another example, and I'm probably pronouncing this or mispronouncing this, uh, is the Tittle Crisps, which is a, a sort of a Hertfordshire-based uh, potato farming business originally. I think it was a family farm type business. They were looking to diversify, and uh, they were looking to... Uh, to go into the crisp market or chips market if it's in the USA and we have got some listeners in the in the in the world so there's a little bit of a plug there we have got some listeners in the United States so these tittle crisps or chips uh, uh, was was something that they moved into and if you think about that sort of quality premium luxury crisp their name is, I think, probably on the top of your mind. If, if I asked you that question, and I probably should have asked you that question possibly before, but it's likely to be the fact that that name comes out because they've had that success. They were first in that particular marketplace. They differentiated themselves and they were looking at creating a product which is uh, a premium product. And, you know, they had these exotic type flavors, slightly different flavors. So it wasn't just a normal salt and vinegar and cheese and onion and yeah all of those sort of things so there was slight differentiation there but that become the sort of name i think anyway for that premium crisp product there's many others now there's so many so many other crisp manufacturers and crisp brands but for me 
it's them you know, and they will probably say that their product was probably perfect or it was a superior product but it was differentiated they've differentiated and they they took a sort of a niche market and you know you got talking about PepsiCo Walkers and various other companies who you know dominate that crisp market it's a massive massive industry I don't know how billion how many billions it is but you know a small well small relatively family potato farming business going into a marketplace which is dominated you know spends thousands of billions of pounds millions of pounds on advertising and so forth and they the corner that market and with an idea with a dif, you know differentiating and, and they've 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 come in so i, I think praise to that in, t- in yeah, terms of absolutely i mean that's a, i think i think that story is you know there are so many lessons in that business i mean very very briefly it was set up by a man called william chase who run a spud farm um a potato farm in herefordshire and he decided one day that he was growing a lot of spuds but there was not a lot of money in spuds so therefore what he thought would let's try and do something else with these potatoes to upvalue them and this and he thought well we can make crisps but you know there's no point in me trying to make the same crisps as walkers because you know they can do it on a completely different scale to me so let's try and produce a niche market product and um, you know, just a tremendous story about upscaling. I mean, he, he's now—I don't know if you—if you—if you know this—he's now upscaling carrots and showing them no. into gin. And there was I thinking that I'm 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 sharing something new to you, and there you've come back with 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 additional information, which I which uh, which uh, hats, no, 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 no. hats off to you. Hats off to you. No, I, I'm just saying. But the thing he's doing now is he's making gin from carrots. I didn't know that. Can I just ask you about, you know, the other side of the coin? Because yeah. we, we've talked about the benefit of, of, of being in first. And yeah. a lot of the time that is true. But there are also examples, aren't there, where the opposite can be the case, where you, you produce a product that perhaps doesn't quite work out and, um, you know, other people learn from it and then take over. And, and the best example of that for me was after the Second World War, the the, the, the UK was the world leader in aviation design mm. and aircraft mm. design. And a British company called Aero produced a, a four-engined intercontinental jet called the Comet, which was a lovely plane, lovely design, lovely looker, first four-engine jet, transatlantic and all the rest of it. And they were in there first. And unfortunately and tragically, after a few years, there were a number of crashes. A number of these planes were involved in a number of crashes. And... Um, they went to Farnborough, the boffins in Farnborough, to find out what, what the story was. And one of the features of these aircraft was they'd got square windows. What was that program when we were kids? It was called Play School, wasn't it? Here's the windows, here's the square. I don't know. Anyway, anyway this, this plane had got square windows. And, and they actually discovered, when they put it in a tank in Farnborough, that it was the fact the square windows had meant the fuselage had got minor weaknesses in it. And with continued takeoff and landings, they'd produce cracks and those resulted in fatal depressurization. Anyway, to cut a long story short, whilst they were fixing this problem, another company on the other side of the pond called Boeing um, introduced an aircraft called the Boeing 707, which was a four-engine jet. Not as nice a looking aircraft and in many ways an inferior product of the Comet, apart from the fact that it didn't crash. But anyway, the Comet was fixed eventually and it eventually went on to become something called the Nimrod, which the RAF used a lot. But how about that? Don't you have to be careful sometimes that if you go too soon 
and you haven't sorted out, ironed out all the potential problems, that that can be a huge issue because the comic never really, you know, as a commercial venture, never really came back after those initial problems. Yeah, I mean, there's some serious, serious examples there and, and absolutely a serious point, but I mean, at a, at a basic level, I mean, think about a restaurant that opens that... Uh, that isn't ready and and uh, the first experience or first user experience isn't uh, great and and how word travels because people talk you know bad news spreads quicker and people will write that off and and that that happens so it really is about you know going back to that word fit for purpose you know what level of imperfection or what level do you, is good enough and what are the risks what are the opportunities looking at the bigger picture to a certain level and really putting into into context. Context, again, is is absolutely key. My simple restaurant example, takeaway example, you ask somebody, what's their food like? Have you been? Yeah, what, what's their food like? And and, and, and there are, there's always going to be some element of initial teething sort of issues or, or improvements, but sometimes that bad service or you know bad review in that particular case does stick and, and it's hard then to shrug that off because once you've got something positioned in your in your mindset then it's very hard to overcome that so again yeah many 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 examples but is everything you've got to keep into context and look at the opportunities look at the risks look at the whole bigger picture and, and really go back to your purpose really what what is he looking to do you know it's like with with home improvements as well or with with uh, house structures and so forth or building projects or uh, again this restaurant example a personal friend of mine uh, many many years ago uh, starts looking at every single aspect of the decor and you know redid a whole wall cost him in that particular i mean it was like mega money 15 16000 pounds and for the more for the average customer they probably wouldn't have even noticed for him it was like a big thing because that was like his pet project but if you were looking at it from a business perspective it doesn't didn't make sense but he was like emotionally into it you know his dream was to open a restaurant and he wanted it his particular way and and, and so forth so is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? For somebody like me looking in, uh, I would have said, you know, why bother? You know, that you focus on something else. But people get focused and sometimes pay a, a bit too much attention to certain things and maybe lack of attention to other things. And it's about really where your focus should be. And this is where sometimes you need to get another opinion, an outsider's perspective, because we get carried away. And, you know, in, in some aspects of it, you know, you forget sometimes why are you doing what you're doing and you need you need to get that really support and and sometimes you know it's just take a take simple words but take a step back and re relook at re reevaluate yeah i mean and one of the terms that, that you've taught me and i always think about is you, you you've talked to me about you know people that self-sabotage and and i and i think what you're saying is that sometimes you know not launching a product or a service because you're not quite sure that it's absolutely perfect it is a form of self-sabotage. This word uh, I've said at the beginning and I'll say again and, and it's become a bit of a mantra but fit for purpose really. Chase fit and, and not perfection. Keep on keeping on. You know, you've got to keep on growing and, and, and have that mentality, have that viewpoint that, you know, you are going to, you are, you have got an opportunity to improve. You know, you mentioned that deadline aspect of it where in that particular case, yeah, a deadline is a deadline and it's a hard close but in most cases it's continuous improvements and having that mindset of where is that improvement a lot of the time it's these small improvements you know it's the marginal gains it's more sort of evolutionary rather than sort of massive revolutionary change you know I, I would say just 
Again, simple words and, and you know, compl- complacency kills. You know, don't rest on your laurels. Look at building on your strengths. Work around your weaknesses and really keep everything in context, really. And sometimes slow kills, sometimes fast kills. And, and the, the, you know, these are all, all sort of buzzy type words, but it's, you know, imper- imperfection can kill, but perfection can kill as well. Absolutely. I, I, somebody once said to me, a wise person seeks for perfection but only a fool expects to find it, which is um, a nice way to say uh, we've, we've tried to be as perfect as we can be in the last half an hour. We'll be even better if people keep giving us the immensely valuable feedback. But now we have to curtail our canny conversation with a course and very much hope that you will be able to join us next time. Thanks for listening to this canny conversation with a cause. These conversations are based upon the Canny Bites books by Safraz Ali, available on Amazon. To find out more, go online and visit Saf's website, pathwaygroup.co.uk, or join him on social media. He can be contacted at safraz at pathwaygroup.co.uk. This is a 1386 audio production. <laughs>